Buenos dias. And good morning. It is wonderful to see you all here. I have to ask, who is back this morning that's uh, returned from a summer away? Fantastic. It's great to see you. And I just returned from uh, Guatemala. My name is Dawson Taylor. I serve as your senior minister along with uh, Reverend Dr. Deb Kaiser-Cross, our minister for congregational care, uh, and 10 others. And we just returned on Friday evening from a, an amazing week in Guatemala with our mission partner, People for Guatemala. And I am just thrilled to tell you, it was an incredible week. I'm wearing a bracelet that was given to me by a child in one of the villages as a sign of gratitude and friendship. Uh, in that particular village, we built a, uh, a kitchen and, uh, for their school. And then uh, we also were able to add 19 stoves to the area. We awarded seven scholarships for students to go on to school because uh, if you, the government only pays for schooling up to sixth grade, so if you go beyond that, it requires to be paid, and many of the uh, area that we serve, they cannot afford that, so we were able to do that, and we celebrated a new uh, patient transport vehicle that you funded, so thank you very much. We have pictures that we will be showing you in due, due time, and uh, it was really a remarkable week, and so I'm deeply grateful for those who went, and I'm really grateful to be home in my own bed too. So it's good to be back, it's good to see you. I wanna welcome those who are joining us via live stream, Facebook Live, those who have gathered this morning at Arbor Trace during this service, and of course those who will download our audio podcast later this week. We're so grateful for all of the ways that we are able to worship together. Also, uh, Friday was also a big day. Not only were we coming back from Guatemala, but Precious Cargo and uh, our Children and Family Youth Ministry were also hosting Trunk or Treat, and we had over 275 families and children enjoying uh, Halloween festivities here in the gathering place and uh, around the portico, and the pictures are pretty amazing, uh, and lots of fun was clearly had there. So it was a wonderful week here in the ministry and the life from Guatemala to Halloween costumes in the gathering place and uh, everything in between. So I'm really grateful that you're here this morning for worship. And if you've been away this summer, we have certainly missed you and we are glad that you are back as well. And so in the spirit of being an intergenerational, mission-driven and growing congregation, let us center our hearts and minds for worship. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, indeed, we give you thanks for the gift of this day. And in this moment of worship, O oh God, we trust that you will speak either through me or in spite of me, but that above all else, we will hear with clarity what it is that you say to us this day. And all of this we ask in your many names. Amen. There's an old uh, Calvin and Hobbes comic strip in which Calvin is talking to his stuffed tiger, Hobbes, whom he imagines to be real and his best friend. He says, people are so self-centered. 
Then he adds philosophically, the world would be a better place if people would stop thinking about themselves and focus on others for a change. Hobbes sort of rolls his eyes and thinks out loud, gee, I wonder who that might apply to. Calvin answers, me. Everyone should focus on me. (laughs) Bill Watterson's cartoon character Calvin could have been the poster child for the Pharisee in today's passage from Luke. There were two men who went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. It's a shame, really, that one of them was a Pharisee. A shame because it spoils the surprise ending. When we hear the word Pharisee, we know right away who the villain is. To us, Pharisee in biblical language is word for bad guy. So if you hear a story that starts out, there were two men, one of them was a Pharisee, You don't even have to listen to the story to know who the hero is. The hero is whoever the Pharisee is not. The story could go, there were two guys, one of them a Pharisee and the other an axe murderer. And you would know that in the end, somehow the axe murderer is going to turn out to not be such a bad guy. Sure, he might be the crazed serial killer, but at least he's not a Pharisee. Pharisees to our ears are worse than everybody, but that's not how it sounded to the people to whom Jesus first told the story to over 2,000 years ago. The Pharisees actually were pretty good people. They did everything right. They followed the law of God to a T. We often struggle with the daunting challenge of keeping 10 commandments. But the Pharisees went way beyond that. They dug through the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi and found 613 commandments and then kept every single one of them. They went all out to do everything that God asked them to do. And to show how serious they were and how devoted, they went even further than what God asked. The Bible says not to take God's name in vain. The Pharisees made sure that they never did, not even accidentally. They didn't even want to come close to breaking God's law. So they didn't even say God's name ever. Don't boil a kid goat in its mother's milk. Well, just to be on the safe side, they wouldn't boil any goat meat in any milk or mix any meat of any kind with any sort of dairy product at all, not even cheese. They studied God's law and they talked about God's law and they kept all the rules. Sounds kind of annoying, doesn't it? This was not some evil gang of thugs that we're talking about. The Pharisees were righteous with a capital right. Jesus butted heads, although with another group, the Sadducees, on some pretty important issues too. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. Jesus did. 
The Pharisees agreed with Jesus on that. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees did. And I think we know where Jesus sides on that one. So why is it that the Pharisees are always the bad guys when Jesus tells his parables? Why is it that the Pharisees are so eager to stop Jesus from teaching that they arrange for his death? Here's the problem with Pharisees. They were good people, and they knew it. They followed the rules, and they wanted everyone else to see how well they followed the rules. It reminds me of the old joke about the three preachers, a Baptist, an Episcopalian, and a Methodist, who lived in the same community and became rather close friends and colleagues. They played golf together. They met for coffee once a week. So one day, they decided that they wanted to spend two days together away from the rigors of their work just to share time and to get to know each other better to study a little and to talk about their preaching and to pray. During that time, they evolved in their friendship to the point that they began to confess to one another, to share their inner life. The Baptist preacher said one evening, I must confess. I'm really wrestling with the sin of greed. I never seem to have enough. And while I hate to admit it, but for months now, I've been taking money out of the collection plate every week. Please pray for me. The Episcopalian said, I understand that uncomfortable and uncontrollable urge. My problem is lust. I simply can't keep my eyes off of beautiful women, and I'm afraid that my lust is going to turn to fruition. The Methodist preacher was sitting there very quiet and thinking deeply. And as his two colleagues looked at him, waiting for him to share, finally he broke down. I don't know how to tell you this, but my sin is gossip, and I can't wait to get back home. <laughs> No matter what you think your greatest sin is, I can imagine pride is probably somewhere on the list. But the problem with the Pharisees was more than just a little misplaced pride or spiritual arrogance. The problem was they missed the point entirely. You know what is said about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The Pharisees followed every letter of the law but they seem to somehow still miss the entire point of all 613 commandments. The Pharisees thought that the whole thing was about following the rules, but the point about commandments is not actually the commandments themselves. The point is kindness and mercy. The, com the commandments are there to teach us to love each other and to be civil to each other. 
The point is living as God's holy people, merciful and gracious. The problem with the Pharisees is that they didn't seem to get that. There were two men who went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. He thought that the prayer was all about him. He thought the prayer was a chance to submit his resume to God. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. It was not so much praying as it was bragging. The Pharisees' relationship with God was a total mess, and he had no idea. There were two men who went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The tax collector had nothing to brag about. His relationship with God was a total mess, and he knew it. If he was out to impress God with how holy and righteous his life was, he didn't have a leg to stand on. His prayer was not a resume, and no amount of padding would have helped. The tax collector's prayer was a plea. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It wasn't bragging. It was begging. Which is to say, it was authentic and real. God knows how well we do and God knows how poorly we do. There are things that we get right and we can't get right all the time. The truth is that most of us can't handle keeping 10 commandments, much less 613. The truth is we aren't always very loving and very kind. We can be thoughtless and arrogant, uncaring and cruel. If we were to count only our own righteousness to save us, we would be in serious trouble. But fortunately, God isn't grading us on how we follow the rules. God's not grading us on how merciful we are. It's not our obedience that makes us holy. It's not how loving and civil and kind that we are that counts in God's eyes. It's not even really if we get the point. It's God's mercy that counts. It's the only thing that counts. We're in no position to brag. Praying is asking. We need God to forgive us, to help us, to heal us, and to make us better. And so we ask for mercy. And we ask God to help us be more merciful. We ask for forgiveness and then ask God to help us be more forgiving. We pray for faith and then ask God for the strength to follow God's will.
we pray for humility and ask God to make us less like the Pharisee and more like the tax collector.